Today on Blue 58, Aaron Rodgers says he wants a simpler offense. What does that mean? Would it actually work? And how would it affect what they're actually doing? Simpler might be what he wants, but getting there could be a complicated process. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. A couple quick things that I want to cover before we dive into a couple questions from listeners today. Packers making some moves, signing first and foremost Luke Tenuta off waivers from the Colts. He was originally a sixth round draft pick by the Buffalo Bills in 2022. Six foot eight, 319 pounds out of Virginia Tech. He actually took over as a Tech's starting right tackle after Yash Nyman finished up there. The thing on Tenuta, he's really big. And the Packers now have four offensive linemen listed at 6'6 or taller on their roster. Rashid Walker at 6'6", Yash Nyman at 6'7", Tenuta at 6'8", and Caleb Jones, though he's on the non-football injury list, at 6'9". Tenuta has yet to appear in an NFL game, and stepping back from this signing uh, in particular, I truly truly don't understand what's going on here from a roster construction perspective. They don't really need a backup offensive lineman because they're not playing the ones that they have already. Rashid Walker has been inactive for every game so far. Sean Ryan's been inactive a bunch. Tenuta has yet to appear in a game. Caleb Jones was inactive when he was healthy. What's the point of all this? What's going on? Zach Tom has been active, but they won't put him on the field. The Packers seem committed to the guys that they have but also won't <laughs> just want to keep adding guys on top of that. It It's just kind of strange. I don't really understand it. And maybe, you know, Jake Hans's injury turns out to be a little bit more serious, like he's going to go on, have to go on injured reserve or something for, for a time here. I don't know. But why keep adding linemen? And I'm not saying this like the alternative is adding some kind of starting receiver or somebody like that. But why keep signing guys if you're not going to play the guys you have already? The second thing is something I forgot to mention uh, from the Packers and Jets game. There was a neat play that the Jets ran that I'm surprised that we haven't seen uh, to a greater extent from the Packers. The Packers have been doing a little bit more stuff, pulling guards yet, but they really haven't tried to get their tackles in space all that much. And this play uh, really triggered for me uh, a couple of, well, first a thought and then a memory. First... The thought is, why aren't the Packers doing like it, things like this? The second is a memory of how it's worked now a couple of times against the Packers. What it is, is the, the, the offense, whoever's running the ball, whoever has the ball, lines up in a pretty standard formation. They have a tight end next to the, the tackle that they're going to end up pulling. The tackle blocks down, the, tack, or the tight end blocks down, the tackle pulls around, and suddenly you've got a tackle out in space, hopefully against a defensive back. On Sunday, it was enormous Dwayne Brown coming downhill, against Jair Alexander. In the past, I think it was whatever the year or whatever week the Packers played the 49ers last year, week three, week four, early last season, it was Trent Williams coming downhill. It might even have been Jair Alexander again. I think it was Darnell Savage though. In any case, you get a tackle, a real big guy working in space against a guy he weighs outweighs probably by 130 pounds or so. And the, the defensive back has no recourse but to just sit there and take it. Because a couple of years ago, the NFL changed the rule that the defensive backs can't go low to take that out anymore. And I love seeing this, you know, even against the Packers, because I think it's an example of really smart offensive design. And I wish it's something the Packers would do. They have pulled guys more to try to get them out into space, but they haven't done it as much with tackles to try to take advantage of this kind of rule. 
this is something the Packers should be doing, and I'm surprised they haven't been doing it because you've got Matt LaFleur designing things for the Packers, and he's from the same tree that produced two of these other examples. Mike LaFleur, of course, worked for Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, and San Francisco, of course, runs the Shanahan tree offense with Kyle Shanahan there. I'm surprised you haven't seen it from uh, our version of the LaFleur tree uh, yet, because I would I would love to see them do something like that. It's just, it's smart design for one, getting a big on a small, but also it's taking advantage of a situation where the small guy can't really respond because of a, it's not even a loophole, it just is the way that the rule is. When the Packers, when the 49ers ran it against the Packers, it, it ended up being a personal foul because I believe Savage or whoever it was went low. You either get a good gain or you get a good gain plus a penalty on top of that because defensive backs can't help themselves. It's like a safety thing from their perspective too. They don't want to get pancaked by an enormous guy. It it just seems like a, a, an opportunity to game the rules that the Packers need to take advantage, and I'd love to see them do it. It was just a reminder this past Sunday. Jim from Lacrosse sent me a question on Patreon after Sunday's game that I, I would like to spend a little time discussing here. He writes, John, yesterday I listened to A-Rod, Aaron Rodgers, talk about simplifying the offense in the conversation. He started talking about how he loved the West Coast offense. It was the best offense, no motion, defense set, then you make your play. But we're in Matt LaFleur's fourth year as head coach, and it appears that Rodgers is not bought into Matt LaFleur's approach and scheme. How do we proceed? Am I too critical? Your thoughts? I don't think you're too critical. I think saying that Aaron Rodgers hasn't really bought in is a fair read, though he has done some things. The Packers offense in 2019 and 2020 and 2021 has increasingly, I think, looked more like the Matt LaFleur offense than the Mike McCarthy offense. But Aaron Rodgers has subtly but vocally fought against aspects of the that the whole time. He doesn't like motion. He wants to get to the line quickly and then spend as much time as possible bleeding the play clock and diagnosing what the defense is going to do so he can make the appropriate read, what he believes is the appropriate read, and deliver the ball from there. That essentially is what worked under Mike McCarthy for a long time until it stopped working at all. And then the Packers' offense was just a death spiral of Aaron Rodgers hunting for big plays when guys weren't winning one-on-one matchups. So let's assume for a second, to take on Jim's question here, that the Packers are open to doing things Rodgers' way. Is that the best way to go about things? I don't think so. Because this approach is predicated on confidence that you can consistently, maybe even most or the majority of the time, beat the guys across from you straight up. Just a one-on-one matchup, you can win. And that's great if it's true, but is it true? Is it something that can work? I'm not so sure. Think about all the things that have to happen to win on a given play. Think about the consistent one-on-one wins you need for an offense like that to work. You need... At the very least, the wide receiver beating the defensive back in a passing play. You need the offensive lineman beating or at least holding their own against the defensive line, and then you need the quarterback delivering an accurate pass. Now, that's true in every offense, but in Aaron Rodgers' version of this offense, you're not really doing anything to tilt the odds in your favor other than having a quarterback who's going to make the right read enough times to either 
take advantage of guys winning the majority of the time or make up for the times when they don't, finding the matchups where guys win one-on-one. Now, in contrast, the Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan type offense is all about finding little edges in whatever way that you can, through personnel, through formation, through motion. All of that is doing everything you can to get the odds in your favor pre-snap. Let's talk about that a little bit. This is one thing, you know, I, I did go on last episode about how we haven't seen all that much creativity from, from Matt LaFleur this year, and that's true, but there is evidence of him trying some of these things too on, on a smaller scale. It hasn't been, you know, broad sweeping stuff. I don't feel like he's done a lot to maximize the the talent of guys like Lazard or, or Dobbs or even Robert Tunyon. Um, overall in the offense. But things like the the pony packages they tried is an example of trying to win through personnel. It didn't work, but at least it's an attempt. Winning through formation, the Packers have done a lot with getting four receivers on one side of the formation. You line up with two receivers and a tight end to one side or three receivers, and then you either motion somebody else to that side or you motion a running back out of the backfield. Suddenly you've got four guys that need to be covered on one side of the formation. That's stressing a defense with numbers. Motion is something that we've seen a lot from LaFleur, a lot of jet motion, though you don't get the the really bizarre motion or really creative motion that I think you see from some of the other branches of the Shanahan-McVay tree in Green Bay all that much, probably in part because Aaron Rodgers doesn't like it. But you do get some of that sort of stuff, and it does help in the running game and the passing game to get guys moving. All of that is doing everything you can to get the odds in your favor pre-snap. And in a static offense where you just come to the line and just try to figure out the defense just by looking at it real hard and waiting for them to declare, you're not tilting the odds the same way. You're not doing what you can to get your guys in a position where they can win more easily. You're just counting on them to just win. So which approach do you think the Packers should go with? Even if you're in a situation where you think the Packers wide receivers are absolutely fine, they shouldn't add any talent at all, Would you rather count on them winning on their own on every snap, or would you count on trying to help them get an edge? If you don't think everything with the receivers are fine, do you think the Packers should be doing everything they can to get an edge? I would think you would say absolutely. I think it's fair to ask Aaron Rodgers what exactly he wants here. You want it to be simpler. What does that look like? Okay, you don't want motion. Why? Why do you think that's going to help here? Who do you think it's going to help? Is it helping you? Is it helping the receivers? Because it seems like, at least in some instances, the receivers are getting open within the scheme of the offense as it currently is. And if you really lean into some of that motion, it looks like, based on how things are working throughout the rest of the league, that they could probably be getting open even more. So what is it that you really want? Does Aaron Rodgers just wants to be com- want to be comfortable? If that's what he wants, I think that's fair, because I think it's fair to want to fall back on the things you're comfortable with when things aren't going particularly well. But doing the comfortable thing is often not the right thing when things are going poorly either. Sometimes you need to stretch and grow and try some new things. So maybe what the Packers actually need to do is lean more in the other direction. Okay, we have some motion in our offense. We've got some personnel diversity. We've got formational diversity. Maybe you need even more of that, and things might figure themselves out. 
Maybe they just need more of what they've already got. And that's really going to help the Packers offense. Just some things to think about there. I've got another great question here from the eye of the beer holder on our Discord server. This is a long question, but I think I'm going to read out the entire thing because I want you to have the full context here and it's a really well thought out question. So here we go. The question goes like this. There has been a lot of talk that much of the Packers' current woes come down to poor coaching. Two of the most glaring problem areas, the offensive line and the offense as a whole, have been widely considered to be well coached in recent seasons, but have undergone changes this year to their coaching staff. This got me thinking about the Peter Principle, which is a concept that basically states that people tend to be promoted until they rise to a level in which they are no longer competent. Do you think that if the Packers do indeed have a coaching problem on offense, that may be a result, at least in part, of these new coaches being in roles for which they simply aren't suited? Since Luke Butkus took over offensive line coaching duties from Adam Stenovich, the unit has at best struggled and at worst been an unmitigated disaster. And since Stenovich took over as offensive coordinator from Nathaniel Hackett, an offense only two years removed from being the highest scoring group in the league with over 31 points per game is now averaging less than 18. This argument can be extended to outside the Packers as Hackett in his new role of head coach of the the Denver Broncos has so far led his team to a hugely disappointing 2-4 start to the year. Obviously, there are other factors at play, but could this be a part of the Packers' disappointing start to the 2022 season? So, long question. In summary, the Peter Principle, are the Packers coaches in over their heads? This is actually one of my absolute favorite topics to talk about in the NFL because I love team construction. I love figuring out how guys came to be on certain teams, and coaching staff construction is a big part of that. We talked about that earlier this year with um, while previewing the Vikings. You've got Kevin O'Connell there, and he brings in some of his guys, but he also hires Mike Pettin, who brings in a couple of his guys, and suddenly you've got an entire coaching staff made up of guys that just happen to know each other. And that is, by and large, the case throughout the entire NFL. Those conditions exist on pretty much every team. Nobody is hiring purely on merit. They want to hire guys they think obviously are good, but most guys tend to assume that guys that they know are who end up being best for the job. So to get to the question here, I think this 100% is a part of what's going on here. But it's hard to put a finger on exactly why that could be a problem here in Green Bay. But let's talk about the idea a little bit more. The Peter Principle, again, is the idea that most people get ultimately promoted out of their depth. As you're rising in the ranks of a given organization, sooner or later you're going to get put in charge of something that is too big for you to handle or requires you to have skills that you simply do not have, and you're going to fail. And I think it's really, really, it's a problem in the NFL because guys are going to end up uh, in over their heads. Sooner or later, it's just bound to happen. You're going to end up in a situation that is not a good fit for you. And I think if you look at the, the Packers, there are four situations where you could reasonably ask if this is the case. You've got Matt LaFleur, you've got Adam Stenovich, you've got Luke Butkus, and you've got Joe Barry. There are a couple easy ones here. Matt LaFleur... I tend to lean no on the question of whether or not he's in over his depth. I think if you want to go the other way, I don't know if I'd fight you all that hard. But personally, I just think that he seems like a guy who can handle things by and large. And I think if if you put him in a situation where he didn't have to deal with um, 
just trying to fit Aaron Rodgers into his offense, you might be able to get a better grasp of where he is on really designing something for a team. Because part of the challenge of taking on this Packers coaching job is you have to get the most out of Aaron Rodgers. And part of that is trying to suit things to what Aaron Rodgers feels that he wants to do and, and feels he can do well. That may not necessarily be what you want to do or what you think works well, but Rodgers is good enough that you got to try those things anyway. So you compromise. And so I don't know if Lafleur is, is clearly out of his depth, but if you wanted to argue that no, you know, that's part of the gig, he's got to be able to get Aaron Rodgers to do some things that he doesn't want to do. And you want to take a real hardline stance on that and say that that means that he's in over his depth or in over his head. I, I think that's a fair perspective to have. And we've even said stuff like that in the not too distant past on this very podcast. Part of Lafleur's job is to get Aaron Rodgers to do what he doesn't necessarily think is the best idea, but maybe better for the team if he would do those things. Motion, you know, personnel diversity, just some of the schematic changes. We've talked about that in the past. Like Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to do those things, but it, you have a an abundance of evidence from a, throughout the league that it does work. Getting him to do that is your job as a coach, and failing to do that is a failure as as a coach. Joe Barry, I think, is a pretty firm yes here. And we've seen significant evidence of that in the past. He was in over his head in Detroit. He was in over his head in Washington. And he got fired in both of those circumstances because of that. Things haven't been entirely his fault this season in Green Bay. I think we need to be clear about that, too. But he has not been as good as other people in the same job in similar circumstances. It just seems like someone else should have gotten the same shot. Now, two eye of the beer holders actual question here, Adam Stenovich and Luke Butkus. I have to go with a not sure on both of these guys, but I think it's fair to ask if they are in over their heads. Just think for a second. What do you know that Adam Stenovich actually does for the Packers offense? He's a run game coordinator. He's the offensive coordinator. He has some input on the offensive line, but what is his actual job? He has some influence on the offense here for sure, but do we know for sure exactly what that is and and how it affects how the Packers operate on Sunday? I don't think we can say that with any confidence. However, we do know that he is involved in the offensive line evaluation process, and he has spoken about his preference for certain guys in the past. He has been on the Royce Newman bandwagon, He's been on the uh, Jake Hansen bandwagon. Last year, he was one of the people talking about Ben Braden as a potential starting left tackle option. That's an 0 for 3. I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but that's three missed evaluations. Ben Braden, he did not end up being a starting tackle for the Packers. Jake Hansen is not a starting offensive lineman for an NFL team. He should not be. And the same goes for Royce Newman. We've seen the evidence there. He's wrong on all three of those evaluations. It's just, it's that simple. He did not get them right. And he's part of why the Packers are putting these guys out on the field in the situation that they are. Butkus, too, I think we're not not quite sure. And I think you can push back a little bit here on, you know, the idea that the, the offensive line has not been good and it's his fault by just looking at the makeup of the offensive line. He hasn't been able to, to you know, play from a full deck here. David Bakhtiari has been slow to come along at the start of the year, the the first out at the start of the season as he dealt with that knee injury. 
uh, and then rotating in slowly. Elton Jenkins uh, coming along slowly on the right side. He is not in a position where he's got all his guys and apparently due in part to some pushback elsewhere on the coaching staff is maybe not able to put them in the best position to succeed. So I think there is reason to be concerned about guys being in over their head on the Packers coaching staff. But I think there's a bigger question here. Why do guys have to get promoted at all? If I was in charge of a football team, or really if I was in charge of any organization, and I'm thankful that I'm not because I think that would be putting me in a situation where I'd be a victim of the Peter Principle. But if I was in charge of a football team, I'd do more to push back on the idea that promotion equals career progress. Sometimes guys are just really good at what they do, and that's all they should do, because to use them in another capacity would be detrimental to them, and detrimental as an extension to your football team. Here are some examples. Think about Mike Holmgren. He was a great coordinator for the Bill Walsh and later era 49ers. He was a great head coach with the Packers and Seattle Seahawks. But he was not a great executive. You found his limit. Coordinating stuff, designing offenses, good. Being a head coach, really good. Being in charge of personnel, not so good. You found his limit there. You promoted him beyond what he was able to do. Here's another one, a non-Packers one. Dick LeBeau. Well, I guess technically it was a Packers one because he did have some Packers experience way back in the day. Primarily not a member of the Packers, though. He was great as a player, Hall of Fame defensive back. Great as a coordinator, one of the geniuses behind the proliferation of zone blitzes and that version of the 3-4. He was not great as a head coach. He did not get things done and may not have gotten a fair shake when he was head coach, but he, he didn't get it done, was not a great head coach. You found his limit there, too. Here's two guys who didn't get promoted, Howard Mudd and Dante Skarnecchia. Both great offensive line coaches. Skarnecchia, in particular, may be the secret genius behind the Patriots dynasty. He was so good that Bill Belichick practically begged to get him out of retirement. And it worked, and he shored up the the Patriots' offensive line. But that's all either of them ever really did in the NFL. They wanted to coach the offensive line, and so that's what they did. And they were really good at coaching the offensive line. Why try to promote guys out of situations where they're doing a good job at things that they're good at? Part of the answer is because the NFL hiring structure incentivizes this. You can't block interviews for a job that's quote-unquote higher up the food chain. And in most cases, being higher up the food chain, moving from offensive line coach to offensive coordinator, that comes with more money. And with more money being available, more prestigious title, you can see how guys get tricked into Peter principling themselves. You can say... Put yourself in that situation. You're a good offensive line coach. And somebody comes along and says, hey, you're great at coaching the offensive line. You've coached the offensive line for a long time. What if you were an offensive coordinator? We'll give you a raise. Heck, we'll double your salary. You get to be an offensive coordinator. You get to be in charge of everything for the entire offense. That's appealing. Even if you're a really good offensive line coach, just getting to try something getting more prestige, getting maybe more credit, getting more money for sure is appealing. But it might have been better for you to just stay and be just a really good offensive line coach. Got to figure out a way. We've got to figure out a way. 
as a league, maybe just as, as a team for the Packers, to make it okay to just stay in the role you're at. Maybe Jerry Gray, for instance. He's been a defensive coordinator for, in the past, but he's now the, a defensive backs coach, the defensive passing game coordinator for the Packers. Maybe that's just what he needs to do. Maybe he doesn't need to be a defensive coordinator, though I think maybe giving him a shot to be the Packers defensive coordinator might be an up, up, upside move for the Packers right now. Maybe a guy like that, though, maybe he just needs to be a defensive backs coach. Maybe that's what he does best. I think the NFL would do well, maybe just NFL teams would do well to make that okay. Make it okay for guys to just stay where they're at. Give them the money, the, the, the accolades, if they just stay where they're at and do a good job coaching individual positions. But here's the rub. Maybe there is a guy out there who could be a really great head coach who just doesn't know it until he tries. And how do you find out if a guy is in over his head as a head coach before he becomes a head coach? You really can't. So I guess there's, a, there's another side to this too. You got to make it okay for guys to stay where they're at as coaches, but also you got to be willing to try new things from time to time. And I think that's that's part of what the NFL has done well here. They've incentivized some things about trying new people, trying people from different backgrounds as head coaches. Uh, 15 years ago, I don't think a guy like Brian Flores gets a shot to be a head coach in Miami. And obviously that didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But I, I think there is a door opening for different guys from different kinds of backgrounds, maybe not just quarterbacks coach, maybe not just offensive coordinators, getting a shot to be a head coach. And I think that's good for the league as a whole. And maybe finding a balance between promoting guys just to promote them and letting guys just stay where they're at is a part of a a healthier and more successful NFL. Started with a Packers question there, ended up with a very broad NFL answer, but it's something I'm very interested in. And uh, I think is an important part of the the NFL conversation as a whole. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would share this with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time at Blue 58.